listeners. That was the worst Costello impersonation I could have ever possibly done. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook, your host of this podcast, which usually is a lot better than what just happened. Why don't we talk about the music that opened up the show? That makes the podcast all better, right? We are playing the song ghastly stomp from the band the ghastly ones you can find them at ghastlyones.com the song is from the album a haunting me will go go it appears on this podcast with their permission you know i really don't believe i open the show that way moving on getting past that welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear and yeah we've got abbott and costello back on the show or at least we're gonna be talking about one of their movies but wait a minute We've already talked about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein through Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. What are we going to... Well, turns out there's another movie that's still in the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse. Technically, it's my show. I'll make the rules. It's in the wheelhouse. We're going to talk about the movie Hold That Ghost. This is an earlier film, earlier Abbott and Costello, younger, more spry, more on point, and just really, really good. I'm not talking about this movie by myself. I'm talking about it with... My man, Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central. Now, Joe is the Abbott and Costello expert in the Monster Kid Radio clubhouse here. He loves these movies. And I got to say big thanks to Joe for taking me on this journey. Having him on the show, going through every single Abbott and Costello monster movie with him has been a real treat. I was a little bummed that we got to meet the mummy and that was it. But you know what? Hold that ghost. Going back, going to the beginning, sort of going full circle, talking about some classic vintage Abbott and Costello with more than one universal monster connection. So we're going to be talking about that here in a second. First, I want to tell you about our website, monsterkidradio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. This is where you're going to find links to our Facebook group, our live 365 internet radio station, every single song that's appeared here on the show, and our contact information like our email address, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line, 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any comments about anything that we've ever talked about on Monster Kid Radio, or have something new you want to bring up, you can do it just like Larry in Missouri did. He sent an email. Derek, have you ever seen the movie I Bury the Living from 1958, starring Richard Boone? I thought it was a good B-movie. All right, so I haven't seen it, and there's a couple of different reasons why. The biggest one being the title of the movie kind of sort of makes it sound like a zombie movie, but I watched the trailer. Science has learned that all people possess mental powers which pass the boundaries of the natural. This is the story of a man confronted by such strange forces within himself. At this moment, he is looking at a thing of evil. A thing that takes possession of the mind and compels it to kill. I destroyed them. Something in me killed them. Seven pins went in. And the seven people died. Not one. Seven. Who put in those pins you did. All seven. Maps and pins can't kill alone. The power of a human brain has to be behind them. Oh, I am. Huh? You're right. We are so lucky. So lucky to be alive. A terror spawned in the hellish unknown. 
seeking warm, living flesh to drag down into the bowels of the earth. All right, that actually looks really, really cool. And it doesn't look like a zombie flick. And, you know, I used to do a zombie podcast a couple of years ago, and I just got to the point to where I was kind of zombied out. So, you know, I just didn't really watch a lot of zombie flicks from that point on. I thought I Bury the Living was, it's not, you know what? I was totally mistaken. I need to watch this flick. And I believe it's public domain, isn't it? Isn't it something that I probably have three or four versions of in my DVD collection already? I need to see this movie. It looks Awesome. Thank you for bringing it to my attention, man. We have another email. This is from a listener. goes by the name of Gil Girl. She heard me on the Creepy Castle podcast. I started listening to Monster Kid Radio after I heard you on Creepy Castle Radio one afternoon. And you rock! Okay, here's a little secret, ladies and gentlemen. If you want me to read your email on the show, you just have to tell me how awesome... Okay, I'm just kidding. Let's get back to the email. As my moniker suggests, I am into the Gilman too, and have enjoyed the last two Creature Cast Among Us shows. And enjoy your enthusiasm for him, because you sound like me. <laughs> Thank you for putting the link to the Classic Horror Movie Film Board on the site as well. I'm enjoying that, too. Now she continues, I am listening to Gilbert Gottfried's interview with Bella Lugosi Jr. and Sarah Karloff. Sarah is usually pretty nice. Anyway, keep up the good work, and I hope to hear more about the creature soon. Thanks, sincerely. Gil Girl, you know, I keep meaning to email you directly, and I'm going to this week. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your kind words. I have enjoyed doing the Creature Cast Among Us podcast so much. I have an opportunity to talk about my favorite film and its sequels and I mean, it's just a lot of fun, and I've got big plans for it over the next couple of months. I'm hoping that I get a response on a couple of emails that I sent out to various people about maybe coming on the show to talk about some things on Creature. It's going to be a real treat. You know, you mentioned the interview with Sarah Karloff over on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. She is such a sweetheart, and I don't know if you've heard the interview that we did with her, but if I can just mention that to everybody, in November, we interviewed Sarah Karloff. It happened on November 18th. It's episode 151. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find all the old episodes in the archives. You can listen to the interview with Sarah. She was so gracious with her time, and I hope people enjoyed that interview. The Creepy Castle Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are not familiar with Creepy Castle, and that's creepy with a K, castle with a K, dot com, you are sorely missing out. Horror host programming 24-7 with a chat room where you can talk about what you're seeing on screen at the time. I spend way too much time there. Okay, I don't spend enough time there, to be honest, because I love it. I don't participate in the chat very often just because I've always got it on while I'm doing other things. But if you want to watch horror-hosted programming, we've got The Creepy Castle, you know, we got Halloween Jack, Dale K, Cinema Insomnia, Misty Brew, Fritz the Night Owl, Lord Blood Raw's on there. That's just a sampling. The weirdness, really bad movies on there. I love Creepy Castle. You know what? I love them so much. If I haven't already done it over at monsterkidradio.net, I'm going to make sure there's a link to them in our links section because I really think it's something Monster Kids are going to dig if you aren't already checking it out and loving it now. Also, they do a weekly show. It's a live show through Blog Talk Radio. So it's live while you're listening to it through the website and then it's released as a podcast later. And you can even call in and talk with Dale Kay and Halloween Jack about whatever topic they've got lined up for the show. I've called in a couple of times and it's always fun. You know, speaking of live 
podcasting. I'm going to mention this again at the end. The Kaiju Cast is doing their fourth annual emergency broadcast. What does this mean for you? Well, this is a live show. Go to kaijucast.com slash live or follow the link in the show notes. It's on January 11th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time. And the reason I'm bringing it up so much, well, there's two reasons. One, I love the Kaiju cast. Kyle Yount and company do a great job with every episode they put out. I love it. It's a wonderful show. And I owe a lot to Kyle and company. But two, I've been asked to be a special guest as part of the emergency broadcast. I'm going to get to go to KaijuCast headquarters and join Kyle and company live for the emergency broadcast, the fourth annual emergency broadcast where they're going to be giving away prizes, trivia contest with prizes involved, a live chat. I encourage you to join us over at the KaijuCast. All right. I've done some email. Why don't we go ahead and get to Abbott and Costello, the meat of this episode with Comic Book Central's Joe Stuber. We're going to roll into that right after this. considerably larger, about ten times the size of this gorilla's skull. Being instinctive rivals, there's no doubt that they will attempt to destroy one another. King Kong versus Godzilla, heading for their colossal collision, shattering every obstacle that stands between them in the most fantastic rampage of annihilation ever recorded on film. See King Kong stamp Tokyo into the ground, holding a beautiful girl in his grasp. See Godzilla destroy an entire army. See King Kong trapped by the blazing barrier of a billion volts. But nothing, nobody can stop the great showdown when King Kong and Godzilla meet to fight for survival of the fittest. Origin of the solar system. Yes, gentlemen. We're witnessing the secret of creation. Mr. Mayor, the city must go dark to supply the power we need. And after 11 hours? What then? Then we'll need the entire power of Boulder Dam to feed it. We must make preparation to evacuate the city. Looking like creatures from another planet. These two scientists risked their lives to move the new titanic element to the one place where they might fight it. 
I'm going to set the machine and leave in time. So the men. But she isn't built to take such a load. She'll break up. Dr. Benton, our only hope is that she'll break that element before she breaks herself. This one man stood between the earth and doom. Only he dared face the terror of the monstrous thing that had suddenly come alive. A cosmic Frankenstein that threatened to engulf the world and hurl it into outer space. I'm now going to set the Deltatron at its maximum output and close the floodgates. I want you all to leave. You've got about seven minutes to reach the surface. See, the magnetic monster battle its deadliest enemy, the giant Deltatron. See the last desperate chance they took to check its appalling power. See it shatter the steel walls of its mammoth prison beneath the sea. ever wanted in entertainment in one superb show. Here is matchless story, suspenseful, terrifying, never so thrillingly presented. Here in breathtaking technicolor is superb spectacle and splendor and romance. Here is a chorus of a hundred voices, a ballet of a hundred dancers, a cast of a thousand, starring Nelson Eddy in his most vigorous performance, lovely Susanna Foster, and Claude Rains in the most coveted role of the year as the Phantom of the Opera. My music! You've stolen it! You've stolen my music! like to start this next recording here on monster kid radio with the question is everybody happy (laughs) (laughs) something told me you were gonna do that (laughs) hey i had to do something joe stuber welcome back to monster kid radio hey thanks so much glad to be here my goodness when was the last time we got together it's been a few months october i think is when we did the last event okay i don't think it was as as long as the previous uh gap but yeah, just too it's too long. We do need to get together a little more often. So well, we especially when we get to talk movies. about Evan Costello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ran out of monster movies, but you know, we've been sitting on this one, so yeah. yeah. Uh, it has been a little while. How have things been going with you and Comic Book Central since we last recorded? Oh, excellent. Uh yeah, a lot of going a lot of podcasting going on. So um I think since we last spoke, I talked about the first anniversary special, but mm-hmm. it hadn't premiered yet. So that came on. So that was basically the year in review. Kind of thing. So you know, had a lot. You know, the the greatest hits of Comic Book Central, if you will. So he did that, and uh, launched year two of Comic Book Central. So having fun with that. Lee Merriweather, Catwoman, 
uh, oh, from yeah. the original Batman film. That was awesome. I got to play Match Game with her. <laughs> she was on the original Match Game panelist, so I got to do that again. That was pretty fun. Changed it up a little bit going uh, the probably the youngest end of the spectrum, Max Charles, who played young Peter Parker in The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Mark Evanier, we had a uh, uh, Beak to Beak, Howard the Duck episodes. That was awesome. Kellen Chips that, that was, was fun. Awesome. That movie just gets, I, I don't know what to do. Like, it didn't do well when it was in the theaters. You know, George Lucas produces and it's the Marvel comics. Like, yay. And then it didn't do anything. I don't know what, is it cheesy? Yeah. Is it campy? Yeah. But it's, I don't know, maybe it's all these years later watching it again and just watching it with a different perspective. But I have fun with it. I don't know about you, but it's, you know. Hey, I saw it in the theaters when it came out, man. I was there. So Yeah. And there's a monster in it. So you should you should love that. There's a big, you know, monster at the end that he gets to battle, so that's pretty cool. Uh Star Trek episodes. I just went to Still City Con with Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn. They were there from Star Trek. So yeah, a lot of great stuff going on, a lot of great guests coming up. So thanks for mentioning Comic Book Center. Having some fun with it. So and you you've got Creature Cast now. That's right. Yep, Creature Cast Among Us launched and Loving it. Yeah, well I appreciate that, man. It's it's been a Loving lot of fun. It. So yeah, so I, you know, I got me my comic books. I got me my monsters. I'm all That's set. Right. I got right. my, my indie cast. I know, man. You're still doing the indie 200. cast. Yeah, yep. we did episode 200 of that one. Keith and I are back with the Dark Horse years. So much going on, man. Just loving all the just the podcasting family of monsters, Indiana Jones, comic books. What else do you need? It's all good. Well, I mean, before we started recording, you mentioned something about coffee. But other than that, I think we're set. <laughs> There's always <laughs> coffee involved. Yes, yes. <laughs> always, that's why I'm loving the Jerry Seinfeld uh, series of comedians in cars getting coffee. That's I'm enjoying that, too. So right there's, your, there's your coffee. There's so, your coffee yeah. connection. <laughs> there's your coffee connection. I got my coffee connection here. I'm, I'm, I'm caffeined up and ready to go, ready to talk about Evan Costello. Oh, yeah. Like, we need a lot of extra enthusiasm to talk about the boys. So, I mean, come <laughs> on. It's Abbott and Costello. And this one we're talking about, Hold That Ghost from 1941. <laughs> one you know when we came to the end of the meet the monster series or cycle i don't know if listeners really knew what we were going to do next i mean we kind of hinted that we had something else we were going to do and well i'm glad that we went back to the earlier Abbott and costello films and, and pulled this one out yeah i think that was what well, we talked about that early on yeah. it was like as we knew with the monster films you know we started with the best evan costello meets frankenstein oh, yeah. so you, we kind of peaked early uh, so as you go through they're all great but as you go through, it was almost nice that we we knew we were going to bookend 
our series with this one because this was sort of the origin of Scared Costello. This is where it kind of all started, and you know, it was really used well throughout. And obviously, in Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, it, they just took it to a new level. But this is kind of the origins of that. So it's kind of nice to bookend the series with this one. It, it kind of fits in. It, it fits into the whole kind of genre horror comedy, I guess. Yeah, horror comedy, a little bit of old dark house stuff going on. So, you know, it's a, it's a haunted house movie, sort of. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, well, that's what I was thinking too. You get the haunted house. Like creaking doors, you get the hidden rooms, you pull a candle and like the door opens, there's all these hidden rooms and they dead bodies. Yeah. You know, knives, guns, hands coming out of the wall, you know, it's like moving candles, it's like a whole Scooby-Doo, you know, Scooby-Doo took it from there, that came from Evan Costello and, you know, obviously movies before that. But Sure, sure. No, I mean, it's got a lot of things that we would see later in the monster movies. You mentioned the dead body, the corpses falling out of the doors or the closets yeah. or whatever, you know, and Costello doing the double takes and that, I, I can't do it. But the, <laughs> the Costello-isms that we love so much and things like Meet Frankenstein oh, and the, all that, you see him here. The sputtering. Yeah, yeah. the sputtering. <laughs> you know, you get a lot yes. of that. And then just the kind of like the the slow turn to the camera, you know, and you just uh-huh. know he's he's about ready to bolt. <laughs> there's going to be a wide shot with him running down a hallway. And there's a lot know. of that, especially at the end of this one. Oh yeah, and it's great. Film critic Leonard Maltin called this prime Abin Costello. So I I can't disagree. This is and when you think about it, this is the boys in their prime. This is when they were red hot. Yeah. Now this was the third or fourth film in the in their film career. Well, this uh, both. Okay. Uh, you're, you're right on both counts. This would have been the third film that they would have put out. One Night in the Tropics, I think it was you know they're they were sort of like a mi- minor characters in that. And then you had Buck Privates. The next one they were going to go to was this one. I'm trying to remember the the original titles. Don't look now. And Oh Charlie. I think these were those were the original titles on the script for this one. Eventually became Hold That Ghost. That this was going to be their third film. And then all of a sudden, the box office returns for Buck Privates came in, and it was like, whoa, Universal knew they had something huge there. They basically wanted a clone of Buck Privates. So that's when they created In the Navy. So they wanted kind of that military feel. You know, Andrew's sisters, the musical numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, the boys in the military, the vaudeville gags, all that. So they kind of put this one on the back burner and then put In the Navy in quick turnaround. You think about it. In 1941, they released four films. That's ridiculous. I mean, I know they were. It's different than today, but my goodness. Um, yeah. So that one got put on the shelf. In the Navy came out again, went gangbusters, and then ten days after they wrapped production on In the Navy, they they went in to hold that ghost. So yeah, the boys are moving really fast. So technically, it was the third one they they started shooting, but or it went into production, but it became the fourth one released. Yeah, I knew I had known about the stop production start production in the navy coming in because buck privates just did huge and you talk about all the movies that they did in that short period of time i mean they're using a lot of the gags from their vaudeville or radio days and that sort of thing but still that's a lot of work these guys were just cranking out the quality yeah and that's what you, th- you think sometimes too they're like you know people would you'd hear these complaints like oh they're in their trailer they're playing you know cards and things like uh, look, whatever they had to do to shut down and do what they needed to do, when they were on the set, they were golden. And these guys were cranking it out. I mean, you think about radio shows, personal appearances, you know, all the movies, the the production schedule. Even on this one, I think, from what I was reading, they were shooting late into the evenings to try to meet the deadlines and the budget. Boy, and Lou was sick. You know, we, we've talked about his health problems 
uh, on past episodes of Monster Kid Radio. That kind of came into play in this one as well, so he missed a few days of shooting. So, yeah, Lou wasn't feeling well. There's a lot going on. These these guys were uh, cranking it out. They really were, and... Some of the earlier films, especially, you know, you see something like this and there's some more physical gags going on in this for, you know, Young Rabbit and Costello. I mean, they had to be exhausted at the end of the day, but yeah. man, they were still putting out this. I mean, this movie's great. I loved this film. Yeah, I it's really, my, really enjoyed it. One of my all-time favorites. I think it's probably maybe next to Frankenstein, the one I've seen the most. Oh, uh, I just remember watching this one all the time. Uh, you know, this one was like on all the time. This was like Prime Evan Costello, like we said. You know, like uh, Buck Privates, that's one you just see constantly that goes on and on. But yeah, this one is one of my favorite ones. And like I mentioned, this and this was kind of like a breakaway. This is where it got a little weird with the studio because, you know, obviously Hollywood movie studios, they want the same thing. If something works, do it again. If it works, do it again and do it sure, again and do it sure. again. Just keep cranking it out until you, you beat it into the ground. Well, when Buck Privates came out, when you watch this movie, you, if our listeners haven't seen it yet, put it in perspective. This is a wildly different Abin Costello film. It's completed because the first few were this sort of plot. Maybe, you know, it was okay. But they were like secondary characters to what was going on. They would come in, do some vaudeville routines, knock it out of the park, be great in the movie it was their movie there was always like you know the the guy and then the love interest and their plot was going on and evan costello would come in and do crazy things this was really the first one about them this is like their movie the plot centers around them so you go and then all of a sudden you do the horror comedy thing it's not in the military they're vaudeville gangs but they're interspersed a little bit more throughout it's not just like here's this gag uh so very different movie at this person so it was really a gutsy call to do this because it would have been easy to just keep cranking and burning the same type of movie out. And when you'll see, and you see this one, the studio didn't completely allow them to deviate from formula a ton because we do have the Andrew sisters. Yeah. I was going to mention that, that even though, you know, they're doing something a little bit different because, you know, the other two films, the previous two films, these are service comedies, you know, military comedy type. This one's not, that's not that at all, but, you know, we wanted to have a few familiar touchstones, so let's bring in the Andrews sisters. Let's bring in, is everybody, you know, let's bring that back. Ed Lewis, yeah. Uh, and Well, and you notice their scenes are where? The beginning and the end. Uh-huh. And so that's the weird thing that comes into here is that, again, I love the film, but when you look at it, they're, they're waiters at the beginning in a nightclub, and then they're gas station attendants, and then at the end, they're in a nightclub again. Like, how does that happen? It's like when In the Navy came in, Hey, it's the Andrews sisters. Hey, there's musical numbers. Hey, there's this. Hey, it's a nightclub. Hey, people are dancing. Where is that? <laughs> Test audiences are like, where is it? So they shot these kind of bookend scenes with the Andrews sisters and Ted Lewis in these nightclub scenes, but then it didn't mesh with the plot as well. So they had to go do some reshoots. So we'll talk about that as we go through, but there's like deleted scenes. There was a whole different ending to the film originally. So they had to sort of shoehorn these musical numbers into it. And when you look, Oh, the great Joan Davis. Oh, we'll talk about her. She's amazing in it. She's oh. not in the ending scene. And Costello has a line in there that explains why she's not. There. She was off filming another movie. They had to come back for reshoots. Yeah, she, she wasn't was available. Not, yeah, she wasn't around. I do like yeah. the way they did that, though. They did give it uh, a joke. You know, they gave yes. Costello an opportunity to drop a little. You know, it was awesome. I thought it was I thought it was well done for what it it's is. It's a good joke. Yeah, it's a good joke. It's a good joke. The transition between nightclub gas station attendant, you know, coming up a few lines to explain what's going on. This was the first time I had watched this movie. So this was oh, the first wow, time okay. view for me. 
and I didn't know about that going into it. I intentionally tried to avoid learning too much about it because I wanted to go in as fresh as possible. That's always the thing. Like, yeah, do you know everything about it and ruin it for yourself, or do you just watch it clean and then go through? So, yeah. So, and I didn't know that that they had gone back in to shoot some stuff at the beginning at the end. I just kind of expect, no, this is normal. This is what they did back then. Okay, so it didn't seem disjointed to you? Well, it seemed odd that they went from nightclub to gas station. That seemed... (laughs) (laughs) Like, like those were the those were the only two jobs they could get. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. so strange. There was it was a huh. but, yeah because there's a line in the film they're waiters and it says like the this company they needed some waiters relief waiters relief waiters so this company sort of brought them in so I I do give them credit that they do throw that line in to explain why they're there and then all of a sudden they're back they, they get fired at the at, of obviously course they're having Costello I mean they're. <laughs> not going to hold a job for more than 30 seconds. And so they get fired. They're back at the gas station. And that's where the film would have started, I'm guessing. Uh, but you can't yeah. – the Andrews sisters really aren't going to work well in a gas station. It, it's not going to make sense to have Ted Lewis and his orchestra next yeah. to the you know next to the oil cans and, and things like that. So, yeah, you got to put them in a nightclub. You sure you don't so, want any oil? You sure? <laughs> we got oil. You want some oil? Yeah. I don't want any oil. <laughs> That's a great scene. Oh. Uh, but yeah, the transition seemed a little odd, but overall, I, I still was okay with it. I mean, I, I, okay. I, I could buy it. It's Abbott and Costello. You know, they're they're going to be put in different scenarios in a movie. It, whatever. It's fine. Well, yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, Meet the Mummy. It's like, you know, they're all of a sudden in the desert in Egypt, and, you know, it's like, why? It doesn't matter. Yep. Doesn't matter. They're there. Okay, we're buying it. <laughs> so they're in a nightclub, whatever. Sure. It's fine. And some great, great opening scenes too. Uh, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, and well, how about the cast? Okay, this yeah. This is so, one of the one of the coolest casts in an oh, Abbott and Costello film. Oh, it was great. Yeah, my jaw dropped. I I loved this cast. I mean, Abbott and Costello. I thought you might. Joe I Davis is might. great, but Richard freaking Carlson, man. <laughs> okay, you have more of a back. Now, okay, I have the background with Abbott and Costello, but you have the background with Richard Carlson. Yeah, Richard Carlson, one of the three male leads of Creature from the Black Lagoon in this film. Okay. Do you count the creature? Is that well? Okay, does the creature you're right. count okay. as a male lead or not? Okay. I don't so know. So whatever the love triangle is or quadrangle, whatever, he's <laughs> he's my man from Creature, man. I know. And again, full disclosure to your listeners, I I'm waiting till we talk about it. For your your other glorious podcast that we mentioned, so but I haven't seen it yet, so I'm you know again I'm at your mercy, I, I you know I, I kneel to the, the the creature master here, so <laughs> the creature uh, master uh, I, I have not seen I know I've not seen it so no so he plays David in Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of the male uh, scientists who goes off to the Black Lagoon with Kay and and Mark and everybody else to uh, yeah, do their thing. Now, Creature is from 1954. This film is from 1941. So it's a, a younger Richard Carlson, a little bit more spry, a little more sprightly, and doing comedy. Yeah, very much doing comedy. Did, I thought did he was you good. like him? Okay, do you like him? Obviously, Creature is like your favorite film of all time. But how does he, like, how does this Richard Carlson compare? Or does it? It's just totally different. I mean, it's, it's, a, a, it's a different character for him. I, I was shocked. I mean, I know he's a good actor. I've seen him in other things. Uh, he's directed a few things as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of Richard Carlson, but. I was shocked by this. I was really impressed. Well, speaking of ghost comedies, he was in Ghostbreakers with Bob Hope, right? Exactly, yeah. And to see him do the comedy, and I mean, obviously nobody can really outshine Button Lou in a movie like this. But, you know, he's trying his best to keep up with them. And yeah. Joan, well, Joan Davis comes close. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Does, does come close. Yeah, I love his role in this. He's great. 
I mean, yeah. he's a scientist as well, you know, in this film. He's a doctor here, but I really, really enjoyed his presence in this film. And he's got that great look because we, we first meet him in a diner. All the characters mm-hmm. sort of come together at this diner um, where we also have Shemp Howard. If you're a Stooge fan, Shemp is in there. He's the soda jerk. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> And then I, I realized, you know, he's done a couple of Abbott and Costello films. He was in a few films. He has, yeah. yeah. There's always that. There's always that thing you read every now and again. It's like obviously Abbott and Costello are the stars of the film. Sure. So like, did some of the other actor scenes get cut for various reasons? You know, because the, you know it was going over top of the stars. You know, again, a totally different era back then. Like stars were the stars. Right. You know, you don't outshine the stars. So yeah, Shemp Howard. He makes these appearances. It's very brief in this. I, from what I'm reading, there there was more to it. I think in some of the scenes, but yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, that's where we meet Richard Carlson or other actors too. And he's got this great look. I mean, that's a great hat. Oh like yeah. Next to Indiana Jones fedora, I I like Richard Carlson's fedora. Oh he likes, wow, it's really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I it just it's got this great look that he's just sitting there. I'm like, wow, that looks really. Because sometimes you see these like old 40s movies and they all like have hats. And I was like, this guy like really pulls it off. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, this is, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with the, his movies, but he looks great in it. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and he plays a scientist who's like so distracted. I, I love, well, Evelyn Anchors, she's in it too. We'll talk about her, but um, he has this great line where he comes up to her and he's like, starts talking to her in, in science speak, you know, mm-hmm. and she's like, she's like, is that your opening line, <laughs> basically? Because <Yeah. laughs> like, that was the first thing I thought too, is like, really? That's how you approach a beautiful woman with that line? Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, you mentioned her. So Evelyn Anchors. Evelyn, okay. Evelyn, Evelyn, yeah. I love her. I yeah. am a huge fan of Evelyn. So, uh, long-time listeners, well, any monster kid knows, really. I mean, the Wolfman. She is the lead opposite Lon Chaney Jr. in The Wolfman. She did, like, seven films with Lon Chaney Jr. She is one of my favorite universal horror actresses. I put her almost right up there with Julie Adams. Whoa. I'm that a big is, fan of her work. That is rare air. That we're yeah. talking here. Um, wow, that's huge. Big fan of her work. And okay. another creature connection, she ended up marrying Richard Denning, who is the other Richard in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Wow, it's just, it's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming. And wasn't she in The Ghost of Frankenstein? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's in The Ghost of Frankenstein. Yep. Carlson's also in It Came From Outer Space, another yep. one in your wheelhouse there. That's so right. That's right. There's like a lot of monster kid connections. Oh, yeah. Uh, with I was these, with talking these with Brenda about this last night, and... Just kind of thrilling that Evelyn Anchors and Richard Carlson are both in this movie. It's like a creature connection. She's like, oh, that's that's important. It's like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in my world comes back to Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> it's like the center of the universe. Exactly. It just all swirls around that. Yep. Well, wasn't wasn't uh, Evelyn Anchors? Couldn't she be like, considered the Jamie Lee Curtis of her time too? I think I read somewhere she was dubbed the Queen of Horrors. Yeah, I'm, so it's like she's in all these movies, mm-hmm. and I have a, a, a book of like B movies from like the '60s or '70s. You know, one of these. Uh, I forget who the author is, but she did the introduction to it. She was considered one of the screen queens of the time, yeah, because of all the work she did. Now she had done a lot of other non-horror type stuff, but I mean, especially with Lon Chaney, she did a lot of film for Universal. So. Yeah. Son of Dracula, you know, and all of these are great. So, I mean, again, great cast. And we talked about Joan Davis. So you speak about Scream Queens. In this movie, <laughs> her character is one. literally yeah. the Scream Queen. And not just that she's in horror movies. It's like her only line in in radio plays and films, I guess, was screaming. Yep. And, like, that's the whole gag is that – well, there's a gag that comes in later. We'll talk about that. But that, that they drop that – 
nice little gem at the beginning, and then it really pays off toward the end yep. uh, with her performance, too. Again, she's brilliant. Oh, look, I love Abin Costello. I love this Abin Costello film. I think I love this Abin Costello film more because Joan Davis is in it. I think she is oh, wow. such a powerful performance in this film because I love how Lou plays off of Bud. You know, Bud's a straight man. Obviously, Lou gets all the laughs. Uh-huh. And, you know, all the, the sight gags and everything else. But when you bring the comedy of Joan Davis in, it just, it sort of, to me, amps up Costello's performance. It enhances it. And I know at the time, again, there's those rumors that maybe she was overshadowing him and, you know, he wasn't too happy about it. I don't know if any of that's true or not. There's, like, no confirmation of that. But, I mean, you read about it and it's like he, Costello's family is like, no, we, we never heard any of that. Um, so, you don't know. It's a different time period. But I, I think when you look at it on film, I think he realized, oh, I'm even funnier because of her in the film. And you'll see this in a dance sequence that comes in in the film. And it's just, it's one of my all-time favorite scenes in movies. Oh, really? I just, yeah, I love that scene. I could watch that dance sequence over and over and over again. I laugh completely out loud at that. Yeah, it's brilliant. That's one of the reasons I love this film so much. It's just because Joan Joan Davis is in it, and she's awesome. Wow, that's, uh, that's big. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just well, it's fun. It's just it just to me, it takes the comedy to a new level. It's like you're sitting there and there's there's this horror comedy, and then all of a sudden there's this crazy, laugh out loud, complete physical comedy dance sequence in the middle of everything, and it's so random and it's so brilliant. And you know they, they that book, you know we talked about the book, you know before Abbott Costello in Hollywood. You now own it. You're uh-huh. the proud owner of it, so it's kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah, Joan Davis talks about it in there. I think it was Joan Davis or one of the writers and it mentioned, you know, like, well, people, it was it ad libbed. Well, obviously it's not ad lib because there's all this staging around it. They use a lot of the physical space around it. I mean, they might have been able to ad lib the, the scene, but I mean, yeah. you've got to talk about where the camera's going to go and the lighting and all that. So it had to be yep. choreographed. It's beautiful. And, and just Costello's takes, you know, oh, yeah. his single shots takes of him. And then it goes back to Joan's singles and then the capper at the end. Uh, it's, it's so good. But yeah, and it's just, it's just one of the most, oh, so many moments, moving candle, changing room. I mean, there's so much to talk about in this film. It's, it's got it all. It's got it all. It's, other than Frankenstein popping other than an actual monster popping up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, um, it's pretty much got everything. I mean, I think I would probably put this up. I'm going to say it's my second favorite Abbott Costello film that I've seen because Frankenstein's the best. I mean, Frankenstein's yeah. got everything for me. But this one's right up there with me. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, I'd probably put that as my – and you see like on Abin Costello list, it kind of goes that one-two mm-hmm. punch as well too. Uh, even my wife, we watched it, and she's like, I, I really love that one. I think she might be her favorite Abin Costello film. This has got – you know, you mentioned the physical comedy that Costello brings to the table, which is really organic and good. I mean you and I may have disagreed a little bit about some of the physical comedy in uh, Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but – this one's really dialed in and tight and just fun. Yeah. And again, we talked about the fact that this is earlier in their career. Yeah. So the, I think the comedic timing is much sharper. Yes, it these. is. You know, obviously, as their careers go on and they're cranking these movies out one after the other and the radio show and eventually the TV show and everything, the boys get tired. They get older and they get tired. And so some of the later films, you'll see maybe that timing isn't as sharp. It's still amazing. So more amazing than anything else. But in these ones, they're fresh. This is like, you Mm -hmm. know, like we said, this was like their third slash fourth film. They're fresh. Everything's hitting right. It's the comedy is very tight. I completely agree with that assessment. Yeah, you can definitely tell it's it's a younger, fresher habit in Costello. It's pre mustache. 
<laughs> habit. So, on the mustache. You know, the mustache, I, I don't like him with a mustache as much. I don't know. That's just me, though. He does seem like, you know, like dad kind of figure. Or something. I, I know what you mean. Like, you know, like a kind of 50s dad. Or like maybe um, who was the the neighbor on Dennis the Menace, Mr. Wilson, or something? You oh, know, wow, I, mean? I, I yeah. get what you're saying. You know, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's kind of that. It's not Bud. It's not shifty, slick con man Bud. Right. It seems like a more paternal, I guess, kind of Bud or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. So yeah, this is Bud Abbott. This yep. is slick con artist Bud. Smacking Lou around. My goodness, he does. There's one scene that's actually I really feel bad for Costello. <laughs> Which one? I'm trying to remember. It's like about halfway in the film. It's one of the many slapping scenes where, where but oh, it's the with the room. The room's a mess, and he's mm. really ripping into Lou because the the room they've inherited this this uh, tavern right. uh, through uh, dubious means. But it's, <laughs> he comes in and like the room's a mess, and there's a reason the room's a mess because it shifts it like it turns on axis. You know, anyway, and it's it's a quite transformation, and I'm, I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about it because I love that and too. Bud's really like lays into Lou on this, and this this look on Lou's face, like I'm like, oh, stop hitting. Him. <laughs> I know it's comedy. I know it's you know whatever, but um, it's yeah, in the script. It's... But come on, now I was worried. I was feeling more for Lou when he kept getting hit in the face with the elbows from uh, oh, Joe and the Greg dance member. Yeah, I'm telling you, there is so many. Just even the little moments within the dance sequence mm-hmm. are are gems. It's just gems all over the place. Yeah, yep. it's just, and you see his head just getting smacked. Around. Yep. No wonder the guy was tired all the time. (laughs) So I have a few other Universal Monster uh, connections I want to bring up real quick. We talked about Shemp Howard. He also did uh, or appeared in in The Invisible Woman, which is part of the Invisible Man franchise, uh, as well as some of the earlier Avant Costello stuff. But then the director of the film, Arthur Lubin, directed the 1943 version of Phantom of the Opera for Universal. Okay. Which did not have Lon Chaney in it, even though it really should have. Claude Rains played the Phantom in that one. Uh, so we've got that connection as well. Now, obviously, Arthur Lubin did a lot of Abbott and Costello and comedy and things like that. He did Buck Privates uh, with the boys as well. So, yeah. I mean, he's worked with these guys before. He knows how to make an Abbott and Costello film. And I'm sure part of the reason he's involved in this movie is because Universal knew what they had. Right. And, and have, have we talked about the, the screenwriters yet? Robert Lees and Fred Ronaldo? I don't think we have. Why don't we talk about them? <laughs> yeah, and their first, well, their first screenwriter, you mentioned The Invisible Woman. First screenwriting credit at Universal was The Invisible Woman mm-hmm. so when they came into that. So, yeah, again, a lot of monster connections going on here. Yep. We got the monster connections. I mean, it's, you can't, I don't think, make a Universal movie in the 40s or even the 50s without having a connection to the Universal monster franchises. Because that's what Universal was known for. That was their bag. So, yeah, it, it was huge. Yeah, yep. it was, I mean, again, you know, if you're Hollywood, if you're a studio executive, you just keep making what works. Why wouldn't you? I mean, sure. it's the same way today. I mean, think of the horror genre in the 80s. You know, when you had the Halloween movies and the Friday 13th. My goodness, what are there, like 20 of those or 15, <laughs> whatever there. I don't know. It's like, look, if you, you know, when you, when you hit on a successful, whether it's a comedy franchise, whether it's a horror franchise, you just make a ton of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they do here in the States. <laughs> well, I, not just even here in the States. Somebody made a joke about that the one day. It's like, um, what was I watching the other day? Say, oh, is that one of the Jerry Seinfeld things? We talked about that. And he's like, you know, what do you do when you have something successful here? You just beat it into the ground. That's yeah. what we do. We yeah. just keep making, you know, keep more product. But then you think about, you know, the Godzilla movies. Hey, you know, yeah. we're not the only ones to do that. No, no. The Godzilla movies actually just got put into the uh, Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest running film franchise. So Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess it would be. They beat um, out James Bond. So I was, I was wondering if James Bond would be because James Bond would have been, what, 62? 
1962. No. Yeah. So Godzilla was what, 1950? Yeah, 1950. Oh, God. Monster Kids are I don't remember. Early 50s. Yeah. yeah. Just like, Early yeah, 50s. You had the Raymond Burr. It was the Japanese uh-huh. version, and Raymond Burr came in, and so you get the American version. 54. 54. So, yeah. Um, wow. Okay. There you go. So, yeah, we're not the only ones to beat a franchise on the ground. <laughs> and <laughs> we don't no, lay claim to no, that. <laughs> no, no. It's not just us. And Toho's going to keep doing it. There's going to be another Japanese Godzilla film. So. I Not to go too off track, but that's know. a whole. There's there's your Godzilla cast. There, well, there's, there's already kaiju. one out there. Yeah, the kaiju cast. Yep. <laughs> I know. There you go. <laughs> See, we're tra- we're dropping links. In we're for all over here. the place. <laughs> that's what we do here on Monster Kid Radio. That's we right. get together. Just keep going off on wild. Oh tangents. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's easy to do when you've got all this great material. And, you know, we talked about the old dark house aspect of this thing. I really really enjoyed the cinematography and the camera work, especially towards the end while Costello's running through everything. Yeah. These wonderful shots, lots of deep, rich shadow, which are hiding jokes and scary things. You know, it's just very well done. The DP, the director of photography, Elwood Bridell, I don't know much about him, but I thought he did a really good job making this film look scary, even though there might not be a traditional monster in it. It's scary because of what he did with his camera. I really enjoyed that. I agree with that too. And then, um, art direction, uh, Jack Otterson. Uh-huh. And I don't know a whole lot about, it, but I agree. I, that was the one thing that was one of the things that jumped out at me when I was watching this too is, yeah, just all the angles and the shadow. It's almost like a, like a film noir in, in some shots. There are, yeah, get, there is that. You get the shadows and I just thought there were like so many different types of film. Coming into this, obviously the musical numbers. It's a musical. The sure. comedy. You got a comedy. Film noir. Horror. I mean, again, it's it's got it all. So there's there's a little something for everybody in this film uh, when you go through it. But yeah, that was something I definitely noticed when you go through. It. And like you mentioned, there's a reason for that too because there's so many different angles that need to be hidden because you know, like creeping hands are going to come out of the wall, you know, or <laughs> or the the moving candle. You get the flickers. On the the shadows on the wall, different. Oh my goodness, it's so many. It's a great looking film. And yeah, and then the the house itself oh, as it's they're great. pulling up. Yeah, I mean they pull up and you know it, it's a of course it's a dark and stormy night <laughs> as they pull up. Yeah, you got that great look in the you know the thunder and the lightning and it's just it really looks and sounds great. It really does, and it it sounds great partly because of the music we've got Hans J. Salter. You know, doing the score. Now, he's credited as H.J. Salter in the opening credits of the film, but Han Salter, I mean, Universal Monster, I'll call him a legend. I'll go that far because he's done so many of these classic monster movies and, you know, the Frankenstein films, the mummy films. You know, his music gets tapped again for, uh, you know, other Universal Monster releases. I mean, they actually used some of his score from Creature from the Black Lagoon in the American release of King Kong vs. Godzilla. So... <laughs> Really? You know, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. If you watch that film, especially during the octopus scene, it's very obvious. There's creature music okay. right in there. So, but yeah, Hans J. Salter does the music in this. Well, we talked about that in the yeah. um, Evan Costello monster movies, how um, the music was kind of adapted. Yep. It, they, they all had that similar music that ran throughout. It was kind of nice to jump back in time mm-hmm. to go to this one and hear this score. Yes. Uh, it's really solid. It I, is. I think it, it's just perfect for each moment. Uh, as you go through, and that, that again, to me, along with the cinematography, the sets, 
uh, the art direction, everything, the music just takes it to another level. I agree. Yeah, at this point, he's composing original music or bringing in music that maybe hasn't been overused repeatedly as stock music in other films. So it does feel more fresh. It does feel more original. Even if it is something that appeared in a previous movie, it still feels different because it is such a an earlier film in the Abbott and Costello canon as well as his own work with Universal. So. Yeah, and I love Frank Skinner's music in the the monster movie. I mean, it's oh perfect. sure, it's perfect for that. It just was nice to hear something a little different now because exactly. we've done we've done these back to back to back mm-hmm. as we go through, and it's like oh, this is something really fresh. It yeah, it just I love that we did this. I love that we went back in time and just put this one in at the end because it just puts a whole fresh spin on everything. Very it really cool. does. Yeah, no, it's it's a great film. It really affected me. I guess I could say because it. It reminds me of all the good stuff that I really liked in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which, you know, as we went through that series, it does get a little tired. You know, you can tell they're getting sicker, they're getting older, you know, maybe their chemistry or their timing isn't as spot on as it was, you know, as you get to things like Meet the Mummy. But you get yeah. back to hold that ghost and it's just a celebration of what made them really, really good. Yeah, I would recommend that if, if anybody hasn't seen any of these films, uh, or if you just want to watch them again, you haven't seen them forever, I would recommend just doing what we did. Start with Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, the best, uh, and go through the monster movies and then spin back around and catch this one. Cause it's, it's very cool to do. That's how, that's how I would do it. Yeah, it's definitely a good end cap. It was a great idea, uh, to do it this way. Uh, so big thanks to you for suggesting that bit of programming here on MKR. You know, it's a good way to kind of just remember the, the really, really good stuff. You got the night scene stuff, which is how Meet the Mummy kind of ends. So you've got all of that. You've got the, the musical numbers that you get if you listen to Abbott Castell on the radio. You know, there's all those musical numbers in there as well. So you get all of that. I mean, it's, Got everything you're going to need. I mean, this could easily be part of a Evan Costello meet Frankenstein double feature, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I, I'd watch oh, that'd this be too. a great double oh, feature. That'd be fantastic. Oh. Yeah, that's a great idea. So well, yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> well, all your your crashes when you're there, suggest that, throw it out. Oh, there you go, there you go. Yeah, throw I would love to see this in, the, you know, in a group because I think there's something about watching a good comedy with a group of people. Yeah, there's something good about watching a good like. Haunted house mystery yes. kind of comedy with people. Because you got all the scares, you got the big laugh, the, the the dance sequence and all that we talked about. So this would be great. Um one other thing you mentioned too, you mentioned the radio. Um I thought it was an interesting side note that they did they actually did a live version of this on the radio. On what was it, Luella Parsons Hollywood premiere. Okay. So I've been trying to track that down to see if I could get a hold of it. I haven't found it yet. A lot of times you see like podcasts on iTunes and things, but uh, I haven't found it yet. So if anybody gets a hold of that be sure to let us know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That'd be cool. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to be able to just listen to that at any time. But uh, sure. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, do yeah. If you can find a double bill of this somewhere, oh, <laughs> bring that fantastic, up. Fantastic, man. Watch it with an audience. That'd be great. Just a man. I mean, I've seen Meet Frankenstein in a theater, uh, but I haven't seen any other Abbott and Costello stuff. So I think this would be a blast to watch that way. Yeah, so, good time. Good time to bring these guys back too. I mean, this is yeah. I mean, this is rock solid comedy. So yeah, anybody that's out there listening that that runs a theater or that's looking for the you know these you like, sort of retro things you know to put in, just start putting Abbott and Costello movies in. They, I mean, you want crowds, you want crowd pleasing entertainment. My goodness, what, yep. what more do you want? This is it. And like you said, that double bill would be great. Or just oh, run the monster fantastic. series back to back, just every weekend. There you go. Monster movie. That'd be there cool. There we go. Well, let, you know, let's let's start a Kickstarter campaign. We'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> Everything's a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> <laughs> we can own our own theater now. We can own our own tavern. If it works like this one. 
Let's make sure the water is uh, is a certain type of water too. Oh, that's a good point. That'll help. So you heard a little bit about the background of the film, how it came to be. Some of the players in the film that aren't named Abbott and Costello learned a little bit about the cinematography, the crew, why it's such an effective film. In the next episode of Monster Kid Radio here in a couple of days, Joe and I are going to go through the story. So you've got plenty of time, two days, (laughs) to get out there and watch Hold That Ghost. And then join me and Joe back here at MonsterKidRadio.net when we finish our conversation about Hold that ghost. Big thanks to Joe for being part of the show. Now, I know what you might be thinking. How are we going to have Joe back on the show again? Well, you're going to have to come back here in a couple of days for the next episode to learn how that's going to happen as well. And this time it's not Abbott and Costello really. Well, I don't want to spoil it. What I do want to do is get back to the ghastly one. So why don't we go ahead and wrap up this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song ghastly stomp that belongs to the ghastly ones it's on their album a haunting we will go go it appears on this episode of monster kid radio with their permission go find them at ghastlyones.com show them some love talk to everybody in a couple of days